Well, good evening to the Buddy Martin Show here on a Tuesday night. It is Center State Bank Tuesday, week seven. Stay tuned for the program. Yes, it's time again for Buddy Martin. Call him up and tell him what you're thinking. But be kind because he's doing the best he can. Better. Stronger. Faster. Mama says that alligators are ornery because they got all them teeth but no toothbrush. Hey! What if the voice calls while you're gone? Take a message. <laughs> Bye! I'm ready for this my whole life. I'm incapable of small talk. <laughs> but that's why you love me, right? Kind of intimidating to be in the presence of so many great athletes. Well, good evening, and welcome to Center State Bank Tuesday on the Buddy Martin Show. I can't believe it's week seven. And by the way, for those of you who started listening in January, month 10 of the Buddy Martin Show here on the Gator Nation Kingdom. Glad to have you with us tonight. It's been an exciting few days. We've got a good show for you tonight. We'll be addressing a number of questions. One of them is, how good is this Florida football team? Are the Gators contenders or pretenders? And what are the elements that we've not talked about that make this team good and possibly better and possibly a contender? I've got some different takes tonight. We know about the performance of the defense, Dan Mullen's play call, but there are other things that bode well for this team in the long haul. Let's not get ahead of ourselves. We want, but we are going to look to this week and Nashville and Vanderbilt. There's a bit of a myth about this Vanderbilt game. I'll tell you about it. It hasn't been all that bad, as some people would have you think. And Florida is a pretty good favorite to win that game. But you must take care of business, as we know. And that is exactly what Dan Mullen is telling his team. Coming up in just a minute. Chris Doring of the SEC Network will ask him, Florida, contender or pretender? What's ahead for this team in the coming weeks and months? Of course, a lot depends on the landscape of the Southeastern Conference. Also, today is an anniversary of sorts for Steve Spurrier. He kind of had forgotten about it until I reminded him earlier today with a phone call on this day He had a huge victory. We'll tell you about that victory. Some of you might know it was unexpected, and uh, although most people don't realize it happened because they're not South Carolina fans, Gator fans might have heard of it. It was maybe the biggest win South Carolina ever had, and he, of course, was the head coach. We may or may not have David Moulton. He's involved in some other things tonight that may preclude him from getting to us on time. But if that's the case, uh, we've got plenty to talk about, and we've got you. And good evening to Chris Winfield. How are you? David Baldoff, good evening. Nat Blaylock, oh, the mayor of Newberry's back. What a great job he does. 
Patrick Hoffman's caught up in the Red Sox. I had a person ask me that about baseball. I said, you know, I'm, I'm kind of a I'm kind of a semi modest, mild baseball fan. I was a baseball player. I actually got a letter at Florida pitching for the freshman team, but when they had freshman teams, uh, I was a pretty good high school player in what have you, Babe Ruth. Uh, but I, I, I can't seem to work baseball on my agenda anymore. I'm a I, I kind of like to follow the Rays on occasion. I probably watch ten games a year. I used to watch twenty, but I just can't get into it right now. I guess maybe my cup runneth over. So good evening to Danny Bassini. Patrick wants his Red Sox to go. Jim Harris, how you doing? Uh, Edward Stelmecker, Donna Wilder, Risha White. I don't think I've had the pleasure, Risha, of saying hello before. C.J. Stafford, uh, Becky Smith, Carlisle, one of our regulars. Mark Rideout, here quite often tonight. Good to see you again, Mark. Uh, Jason Bruton. Uh, I'll put his comments up because he represents what a lot of people think right now, and that is it is feeling good right now to be a Gator. Uh, so, uh, yeah, week seven, Edward. Uh, Dave Woody, Laurie Shields, Jake Allen Lamb, Lynn, my buddy Lynn. Lynn is the guy who runs, basically runs our Gator Nation kingdom, so be nice to him. Uh, he thinks we haven't seen the best yet. Give Dan Mullen Frank's more playbook each week. You're right. They haven't even opened it up yet. The playbook is still there. Um, so Jason weighs in and says he thinks they're contenders. Are they contenders or are they pretenders? Andy from Mississippi, nice to talk to you, Kurt. Yeah, uh, what's going on, Kurt? How are you doing, man? Fort Walton Beach, Joe Reams, be careful up there tomorrow night. It looks ugly for those of you who haven't been following. can't imagine you wouldn't. Major storm. I heard tonight on the Weather Channel, on CNN, one of those channels, that is the biggest hurricane to ever hit within 40 miles of Panama City. It looks like it's right on course. Winds to over 100 miles an hour. Of course, what they're really worried about, uh, because the problem is that uh, the flooding is what they got to worry about. All right, Chris, give me that number again. I didn't get it. You popped on my screen, whatever, so I had you all dialed in. I have to go back and try to find that number again. Um, anyway, so that's a few thoughts there. We'll be talking to Chris Doring in just a minute. Uh, and good evening to everybody else here. We'll get to your comments a little bit later. Um, Lauren and, and, uh, and, and the team, and uh, I'll get back to you folks. Let me just stop and talk about Vanderbilt for one second. <clears throat> Vanderbilt 3-3. Three, three. Uh, they, they haven't beaten anybody any good, as you know. Um, they, they beat The teams they beat are not Power 5 teams, Middle Tennessee, Tennessee State, and Nevada. Uh, they lost to South Carolina 37-14, Georgia 41-13, no disgrace. But they really played Notre Dame well. Lost that game uh, 22-17. Notre Dame right now, they're saying it's a top four with the schedule they got, will probably be one of the final four teams. So they've got that, and they played it in South Bend. So that's a feather in their cap. Of course, they're 3-3. Three and three. Florida 5-1, and 3-1 and one in the SEC. And just in case... You know, history is on the side of Florida. Of course, history is on the side of Florida against Kentucky as well. But Vanderbilt's no Kentucky. Vanderbilt, Florida's about a nine-point favorite or so. We'll get that honed down later in the week. Uh, Florida has won 26 out of the last 27. And lifetime, Florida's 39-10-2. and two. Most of you knew all that stuff. Now, on to the point about 
this Florida team. What I like, and I will tell you this, and we'll address it with Chris. Uh, here, here are the things going well for Florida. After Saturday, as some of you have said, no, this is the last time they won't be playing on Florida's soil. All the other games are in the state of Florida, all right? Yeah, I know, they're not on, on Gainesville, but uh, I think we all agree that the conditioning of this team puts them in play in every fourth quarter. Clearly, we can see that. That's something Nick Savage has done. Um, another factor I like about this team is what I call disconnecting the dots. You know, not letting things carry over. You can't be stewing over a loss that quickly forgot Kentucky and moved on. And you can't be celebrating too much over a win. You've got to get rid of that and move on to the next entity because you disconnect the dots before you can connect the dots. You know what I'm talking about? You can't connect. It doesn't mean you'll do well next time because you did well last time. Uh, it doesn't mean you'll do poor because you did poorly. Mullen and his staff, I think this might be the biggest thing. Dan Mullen and his staff has developed, this is something Urban Meyer did great, by the way, developing players deep on the roster, rediscovering some of the ones who've pretty much been dis- discarded. We saw it. We're seeing it happen every week. Somebody popping up. We've seen certainly the story of Moral Stevens, this one that we heard about the other day, about how he was sort of a forgotten guy, and now he has all this talent. And he's starting to condition himself properly, and he has good hands. And I could go on to others. I counted 11 players that on the on the squad right now, I think, are what I call developed players. Not established, but developed right now, 11. And what I like about this, the way Mullen coaches, like Meyer, he will go after the third-string guy and coach him up, too. He wants them all to contribute in some fashion. We've seen examples of this. Certainly we see uh, there's a guy, Brett Hagee, who just basically hadn't played a lick and now comes in and plays every play and, and grades out a champion. He's a big plus on the offensive line. So there's some things they're doing there I really like a lot. Uh, Moral Stevens is kind of the poster boy for that. Uh, I like There's some others I wish would begin to get together, like Martez Ivy, if he could start playing like he's capable. But what we've seen develop uh, is very promising. I like coaches who develop talent. So there are a few things that stand Florida in good stead, things I think that uh, we definitely want to, uh, to, to check out because uh, you, need a, you need a deep roster when you play in the SEC. And, and injuries are at a minimum. So, <clears throat> I mean, uh, that's a good thing, right? Um, and uh, so we will uh, we'll ask Chris Doring about that uh, and this take. And then later on, Coach Spurrier will talk about what happened to him nine years ago today, a special uh, event that happened to him. and something that when you look back on it, it's kind of almost amazing that, uh, that this happened because it's not something that you would expect to happen to a team like South Carolina. And by the way, it involves being a top team. Certainly something that uh, you'd, you'd want anybody would like to do as a coach. So uh, we're going to see if we can reach. Let's give Doring a try on this number while we wait uh, and uh, see what happens. Okay. He, gets, he has so many numbers on here. It's hard to be a dumb. Chris Doring, are you there? Let's see. Um, also, I went and looked up the, the, the record that Florida has against uh, – this is an even year. Even years bode pretty well for the Florida Gators. Their championships have come there. 
um, and uh, and it's a it's a good thing. And this is an even year. All right, here's this Chris's number. Let's see if we can get this. It's an even year. Uh, remember 96, 98, uh, those are uh, 96, 2006, 2008, all really good uh, good years for the Florida Gators. And this is, of course, as I said, an even year. So let's see if we can get Chris. I'll do this, and we'll get on. So what do you think? Pretenders or contenders? Hmm? What do you think? <clears throat> Um, I'm beginning to think more contender after what's happened. We'll take a break and we'll come back and we'll talk to Chris Doring and uh, see what he's got to offer up. I'm sure plenty. Here on the Center State Bank Tuesday, I want to tell you about my friends over at Center State. It's a bank, but it's much more. Uh, and I think you see the building there, which I've talked about a lot, which is used for lots and lots of things. Uh, in terms of our community. And, of course, this is the reason they have a slogan, Centered on Community and Customer Service, Center State Bank, uh, quite known for all of that. Uh, That's just one of the many banks they have. They have 82 of them in 30 Florida counties, plus some in South Georgia, other places. And they go by their core values. They believe in world-class service, long-term horizon in terms of finances, uh, locally market-driven. They have relationship. Banking is important to them. They believe in the faith and the family. So <clears throat> if you want a, someone who believes in those things, and go on to centerstatebank.com, log on, find out what the closest bank to you is. This is the one that's closest to me right here. Uh, looks like I say a tower from going with the wind. Uh, and they do a terrific job. This art gallery upstairs, a meeting room, what have you, the folks there at Center State Bank. Centered on community and customer service. Check them out, all right? Okay, um, let's do this. I want to be sure to remind you about this shirt. You can still get these shirts, by the way. These uh, circle, blew out circle 15s. Florida Sportswear. Thank you, Tony. Ashley. And uh, those shirts, you see one hanging over my head right here. That's a very popular cir- blue-out circle 15 shirt and uh, saluting Tim Tebow's ring of honor. And I uh, want to be sure and uh, say that those are available. You can go online. You saw the address. I'll tell you more about that later. <clears throat> um, okay. Uh, let's see if we can't get a hold of our friend Chris Doring. Chris, of course, we know is um, does a really good job on uh, SEC now, <clears throat> and uh, <clears throat> and he's a guy that uh, one of our own, of course. Let me see if I can get Chris's number. He changed the number on me real fast. and go back and get it. Let's see. We'll punch it in here. And uh, what do you think, contender or pretender? All right, I'll give you that option, uh, and we'll. Uh, We'll talk about it. It's getting it's getting close to being real, isn't it? Uh, 
And Vandy, just think, once they dispose of Vandy, which I'm going to go ahead and say it, I think they will. I don't think they're going to have any danger of losing that game. Once they do, uh, then it's on to play the Georgia Bulldogs and then the game on. And things start to happen there. So um, <clears throat> I do think uh, this is a really good opportunity. And, and listen, it's uh, it's something that uh, we didn't expect. And as I said last night, this is the kind of season you really enjoy because uh, you can, you know, you, you weren't expecting it. These are the things. It's like waking up on Christmas morning and getting something that you really wanted, but you didn't expect it. Uh, and I think it's uh, uh, just a lot of fun. It's more fun because after that, what happens, if you're not careful, what you wind up doing is you start expecting it, and uh, consequently, uh, it doesn't work out. Uh, expectations will drive you crazy. Um, and uh, I don't know why Chris's number doesn't want to ring tonight, but let's see what we can do about it. <clears throat> um yeah, uh, it's uh, it's always more fun uh, when you aren't expecting it, and this is certainly uh, uh, not a year we expect you to have any kind of championships or contend. I'm not predicting championships, okay? I'm just saying that uh, that that it's a contend. You just want your team to be in competition, right? You want to have a shot. I mean, if you have a shot, at least. Um, you know, you can get stay interested and motivated. This Generation Kingdom is quite motivated, I will say. Uh, they're fired up. Um, and uh, and it's, well, why does this number give me such a hard time tonight? One of those nights. Let's do it again. Um, there it is. It's ba-ba-ba-ba. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, it just wants to go down on me there. It's not going to happen. All right, so I'm going to do this. I'm going to try to play a spot here. Uh, and what we'll do is we'll see if we can get a hold of Chris while we're doing that and get his take because uh, the Skype is not willing to work tonight. Uh, and don't know why, but it's not. I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I talked to Coach Spurrier today, uh, and I'm going to go ahead and play that about his expectations and the day's of yours, something that happened to him that was terrific. And we will go ahead and let you hear that interview with Coach Spurrier. This is what he talked about today regarding a big event nine years ago. All right, to the hotline now, let's talk to a guy who's uh, probably forgotten about this, but today would be, I think, the ninth anniversary of one of the biggest upsets in the SEC history, and that would be the South Carolina Gamecocks, I believe ranked 19th then, visited uh, in Columbia by Alabama and Nick Saban, and the outcome was on the side of the head ball coach and Steve Spurrier joins the program. Now, Coach, a few memories, huh? Uh, yeah, I didn't even think about it till you told me. <laughs> it was 10-9-10. I remember 10-10-10. Uh, my son Steve Jr. had twin boys at the hospital there mm-hmm. in Columbia. So that was easier to remember than ten nine ten. Mm-hmm. But anyway, yeah, it was it was a good day for us. We played extremely well on offense and defense, and uh, Alabama didn't have their best stuff. Uh, Mark Ingram, Trent Richardson, I think they only had about five or six carries each, and uh, they tried to throw the ball too much, and we got a bunch of sacks and this that and the other. And and Lattimore and Stephen Garcia had his best day. Mm-hmm. Anyway, it was thirty five twenty one. It was uh, really one of our best games ever. 
Well, certainly a huge day for Stephen Garcia. He earned his scholarship that day, didn't he? Yeah, he was 17 of 20, and uh, I think we only put, we we punted one twice, uh, one late in the game and one earlier. And other than that, we moved the ball, and uh, we had five good drives and and got five touchdowns and no field goals. And Alabama, I think, only had like eight or nine possessions. And uh, if you beat a team that's maybe got more talent than you, you got to play better than uh, than you used to playing and eliminate uh, all of their opportunities. So uh, that's that's how it occurred that day. Well, certainly earned a lot of respect for the program. That was uh, in the middle of that great run you had where you won those 11 games three times in a row. And looking back at the story now, uh, all these years later, Nick Saban's quote was, it's not like we just lost, he said. They out-executed us. They played better than we played. They played more with more intensity. They played physical. So Nick wasn't making any excuses that day. No, no, Lattimore ran for almost 100 yards. I got 95, 97, something like that. And even the other tailback came in there and popped a draw player, too. So, uh, we, and we were real good on third downs. We must have made eight or nine out of 13 or something like that. So, uh, if you're going to upset a good team, you, you got to have an exceptional day. And, and that, that's what happened that day. Yeah, well, that's good times. So. Well, Steve, I know you're in the middle of a lot of other things right now, not the least of which is uh, <clears throat> the big win last weekend over Les Miles. He had to wear half a hat <laughs> in the Dossetti's bet. And a uh, <clears throat> big win for you, big win for the Gators. And it's one that f- put Florida's program, I think, back in the national landscape, at least in the SEC. How big was that win, Steve? Yeah, it was really, I think, uh, wonderful for the team to hear the crowd noise the way it was there in the fourth quarter, especially. Uh, somebody said it hadn't been like this since Tim Tebow and his guys were here. <laughs> and I said, well, he was here this day also. Yeah. Uh, you know, they put him in the ring of honor between the first and second quarter. It was announced and so forth officially. And uh, the 08 the national championship team that Tim was on, uh, they had their reunion this weekend. So maybe uh, Tim Tebow brought some good fortune to the Gators. And we did play well. We, uh, you know, we're, we're not an explosive offensive team that's going to go up and down the field with regularity. Uh, but we hit some passes here and there, and Felipe hit a couple good long ones and uh, run the ball. We ran for over 200 yards, and, and we scored touchdowns, and our defense is outstanding. I don't know where we're ranked nationally, but it's got to be very good. 14 uh, and 16. Yeah, 14 and 16. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Is that right? Yeah. We were first in uh, takeaways uh, going into yeah. that game. So, and, and i tell you what, and we everybody knows Tommy Townsend. He is one of the most valuable players on the team. And when you can play defense the way we can, then your punter becomes a very valuable yeah. player because the other team not going to go very far. So if you punt that ball 45, 50 yards, that just flips the field position, and then hopefully their punter's not very good, and uh, we'll, we'll gain about 15, 20 yards sometimes on the punt exchanges. And the defense was good enough to play field position. What a great job of the pass rush. Those DBs are really starting to come around to these young DBs. The defense has become a real big part of this, the whole team, and really kind of carrying this team right now. 
Yeah, the defense is certainly ranked a lot higher than the offense. Uh, but just playing smart, Felipe's not throwing those short, uh, real hard balls that ricochet around and get intercepted. Uh, he's throwing deep well, and, uh, and, and, you know, the quick screens and things of that nature have been pretty good. But, uh, I think that's what we do best is run the ball most of the time and, and throw for some big shots here and there and let our defense go play and, our, our kickers are very good. Kickoff man, field goal uh, kicker's good. So uh, we're playing to the strength of our teams. And, uh, yeah, I think Dan Mullen and the whole staff are, are coaching this team. And right now we, we got a chance for a big year. All right, one more uh, question, Coach. I thought about you uh, talking about the trick plays, or as Dan calls them, deception plays. In his Monday press conference, he admitted he got a little conservative after the interception that uh, Felipe Franks threw right at, by after the half. But uh, the great call, I thought, best call of the year, in my opinion, was the left-handed pass that crawled through over back over to Felipe and for the set the touchdown up. And uh, that was an impressive call, along with the one the week before where Kadarius Tony hit Moral Stevenson for a touchdown. Your thoughts about those kind of deception plays or trick plays? You've used a few, Coach. Well, we call it special. You know, they're a little different, little special plays instead of trick plays. Uh, of course, the players love to practice them. So you practice them every week. And uh, if you get way ahead, which we were fortunate to do a lot of games, and, I, and then you don't try to waste them then, uh, and you save them maybe in the right situation. Uh, but, yeah, the lefty, he was a baseball pitcher, tight end there. He threw a nice one back to Felipe. Uh, those kind of plays almost always work, if you notice. You'd wonder why teams don't use them more often. But, uh, yeah, that was a good, I think, 14, 15-yard gainer, and then we were able to run it in on the next play. So, uh yeah, but I, you know, I, I don't, I don't think he was all that conservative. Uh, that was, I don't think that was bad. And that was his decision. Was, though. He, he admitted he, he did that yep. interception in yep. the end zone after we got the drive right, right, right to start the second half, and we were backed up. And I tell you what, when your defense can play so well, man, you don't want to do anything stupid. Uh, you know, a, a yep. pick here or there. So, uh, and yeah, sometimes uh, that's smart. It's smart to run up the middle and punt yeah. if your defense is going to hold them. I agree with you. Those turnovers, as yeah. you know, in the past have, have really hurt the, the teams the last couple of years. Yeah, I'm with you. I thought it was the right one to play, and it was Dan who brought it up. Mm-hmm. He said, I got a little conservative yeah. there. Uh, final thing, naming of plays. Uh, you you had a few. Uh, my favorite was the Ernie Mills story, and then the, that lasted. Then they named plays. They now call this play that Kadarius threw. The they call it the Kodak play, and then they don't have a name for that that Lucas Kroll pass, left-handed pass. They call it throwback. But when you name plays, I know you had the Ernie Mills play. Can you just tell us about the origin again of the Ernie Mills play and why you named it that? Well, Ernie caught a deep post against Alabama way back in 1990 that helped to win the game, set it up. So we just said, well, we'll just start calling that the Mills play then. Uh, you know, the guy over the middle and the guy deep down the middle, uh, deep to the post. Ernie made a heck of a catch. So I told him, I said, Ernie, your name's going on that, on that play, and it's still on there. And it'll be on there when I coach the Alliance team down in Orlando. Uh, it'll be called the Mills play. So... Yeah, Ernie, uh, you make a big play. I always told the guys, you make a big play, and your name might be on that play forever. So Ernie Mills is definitely on there forever. About that. They should call the jump pass the Tim Tebow play, too, for sure. That's for sure. Uh-huh. Well, it's fun to do. I love the legacy that you give your players. Any other plays that you named after anybody, Steve? Oh, I'm not sure that uh, we put a predict- uh 
back in my Duke and Georgia Tech name, yeah. uh, we put some guys' names on yeah. them, but uh, we put something else on them later. I think yeah. they, were, they were only good for those guys for yeah. a little while. Yeah, fun time uh, to be a, be a yeah, Gator right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you, do, you you look for a word though that everybody understands. Yeah, you know, Azaro or something like that yeah. uh, to, to get uh, to get a name on it. Well, all right, all right, coach. Okay, buddy. Appreciate it, all Steve right, Spurrier. Time, congratulations on the anniversary, coach. All right, see ya. All right, Coach. There you are. Yeah, naming plays. We're going to talk to Chris Doring about that. Uh, you know, he threw a, a pass play himself uh, back in the day, the SEC uh, championship game, uh, which turned out to be rather successful. Uh, Doring was a pretty decent passer. And we talked to Dan Mullen earlier in the week about that. Uh, we talked to Dan about the fact that you got to find somebody who can throw the ball. As I said yesterday, we've had opportunities in the past uh, 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 to, to – I thought I'd seen actually him Tebow catch a pass, but apparently it's not in his stats, so he must not have done that. Uh, but uh, yeah, uh, we enjoyed that. So uh, yeah. Hi, this is Brenda. Yeah, Please I don't know who Brenda Hi. is. I have no idea this person is. I'm calling, so let's just hang up and say thank you very much. We'll try Chris again. <laughs> oh, it's funny. I just talked to him on my cell phone during that time. Uh, and uh, we've tried to reach him there. We'll try him a couple more places and see if we can get him on the phone. It's not to be tonight, apparently. Uh, I do want to talk with Chris because we got some things to ask him about that I think are pretty pertinent. Uh, and uh, <clears throat> I want to get his thoughts about this uh, this idea of is, is, is it a um, is it a is it a pretender or a contender? This would be the voice of Chris Strong finally after 19 dials. I don't know what's going on. At some point, I was dialing Luxembourg, Chris. I don't know what's yeah. happening to the phone system. But good evening to you, my friend. Good evening to you, my friend. I'm sorry it's so difficult to uh, connect this evening. Well, it's not on your end. It's my fault, I think. Uh, but we got it. We got it. And uh, I uh, I wanted to say number one, uh, you had a pretty nice day in the studio. On Saturday, uh, with the Gators winning, and of course uh, they were giving you the business about uh, uh, being a homer pick, etc. Kidding with you in a good way, uh, Chizzing and Diary were, and uh, it's always nice when you do pick them; they come f- through for you, which these Gators did. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I uh, again, I, I think you and I have talked about this before. I'm not going to ever pick the Gators just to, to pick the Gators, but I really felt good about. Um, their victory uh, on the road in, in Knoxville, the momentum they created going to Starkville and, and the defensive performance there, and I really thought that it was going to kind of carry over, which it did. I mean, the defense was outstanding again against LSU. The offense did enough, and I think more importantly, protected the football for the majority of the day. Um, offensive line, who I've been very critical of, um, did a great job in, in terms of uh, protecting uh, Felipe Franks, whereas uh, I think what Florida had six sacks against uh, LSU and Joe Burrow. Uh, Florida did not give up any, and that's a big difference. Negative plays, I think, were a large part of that football game. And then, then the ability to line up and run the football right at one of the best front sevens in the conference was impressive to me. 215 yards, the average five yards a carry. Uh, I thought that was um, impressive to see. I, I have not said enough about uh, LaMichael P. Ryan. I think he is a guy that is really – versatile and, and maybe doesn't get the credit that he deserves, um, both running the football and catching it out of the backfield. But I thought Jordan Scarlett had kind of a breakout game, something we've been kind of waiting for since uh, 2016. 
kind of looked like uh, he did when he was at LSU in that uh, division-clenching win in Baton Rouge. So I, I thought all around it was a great day. But, um, you know, still some work to be done. But uh, I, I enjoy when I get a chance to get texts from uh, from Booger McFarland conceding the, uh, the game like I did on Saturday. Yeah, you know, when, when is it permissible to start realizing this is more than just a pipe dream and that this is really happening? <clears throat> and I know Gator fans, they're kind of afraid to venture outside that little safety net because of what's happened over the years. Disappointments, heartaches, etc. Quarterbacks that have not panned out, etc. And they're just now beginning to say, hey, maybe this is real. And that's why I raised the question tonight. I know, even though I know it's premature, but the season is halfway over. Pretender or, or contender? And I think uh, I want to get your take on it first. Then I'm going to tell you mine. And I'm going to tell you why. Okay. You know, I, I, I'm, I'm like you. I'm like Gator fans in general. I think I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic. I think we've been burned as, uh, as people that have followed this team for a while, uh, getting our hopes up over the last couple of years, only to be let down and. And as I look at this team now, while I do see a ton of positives, there are still some, some things that are um, deficiencies, and I think there's uh, still work to be done. But I think Dan Mullen readily admits that and talks about how they have to improve from week to week, and there's still a lot of things that they've got to refine. But um, I look back to where they were after that Kentucky loss, and even after winning against Colorado State, I thought that this was a team that was really limited in what they could do but all of a sudden, with that defensive uh, performance and how aggressive Todd Grantham's calling these games, I, I really believe that they can be a contender. As you look at the schedule, uh, getting a chance to play Vanderbilt this weekend and then getting a, a bye to prepare for Georgia, a Georgia team that's banged up on the offensive line and really hasn't played a complete game of football yet, um, I, I think they can be a contender. Now, I do still think that there's a talent differential between where Georgia is and where Florida is. But in a one-game matchup, uh, who's who's to say that Florida can't put a a good one together again and take down the Bulldogs? All right, Chris, you've experienced part of this. You saw uh, you were there when the uh, the wrapped up the the big run for the for the conference championships. Right in the middle of that, you experienced that when the magic starts happening and things begin to come together and people play better than they are and you play together as a team uh, and you know, everybody gets better, etc. Uh, and and I, I think I, I'm a little more positive because. I started out more positive, you know, and and I base it, and I I'm not saying I was smart than anybody else. I just felt like something felt good about this, about this coaching staff, and about what it was needed at that time. Uh, it, he was the perfect guy to come in when he did, and like I, like we've said many times, getting off the airplane chomping was a good place to start, mm-hmm. and then dancing around the swamp as he did. I mean, I was thinking, I can't imagine Spurrier or Irvin doing that. You know, I even asked him about it in the press conference about you know, and he said, "Well, you know, he wanted people to know he needs the he needs this this swamp crowd." And he said, yeah. "We need them there." And he says, "They're they're as much as responsible for it as the players." And so he yeah. was determined to do whatever he had to do, turn cartwheels if he could to get them up for that. Having said that, let me say that I understand that you know you can't even take Vanderbilt for granted. Although, let's be honest about it. I mean, when you won 26 out of 27, you know, uh, you're feeling pretty good at lifetime, 39 and 10 and 2. Uh, you know, uh, you're pretty good. You didn't, I looked up your record. You didn't have any real tests when you played. I think your team won 41 to 21 and 24 to 7 up there uh, with the times you were in Knoxville. The 
96 team had a little bit of a scare. 28-21, that game was in doubt at the end. Uh, and there's this idea that, that, that Vanderbilt has been a problem. But in reality, if you go back and look at the scores, other than 2016, when it was 13-6, you know, you got 34-10, 55-14, 42-14, and then, of course, uh, uh, the 2016 National Champions barely won, 25-19, etc., and the 2002 team, 21-17. So for the most part, except for those little minor things, skirmishes. Now, Let's look at what Vanderbilt's got. I want you to, you're the analyst here. Uh, this team went to South Bend. They were ready, and they took it to the Irish. And and, and luckily for uh, for the Irish, they pulled that one out and won it 22-17. And now Notre Dame is probably a Final Four team, the way it looks right now. Give me your take on that precisely, um, and, and and let's let's see how real this Vanderbilt team is because. It's one thing to play really well and have a, have a, have a lot of depth in game one, and then game seven it gets a little bit more difficult when you're Vanderbilt and you don't have the depth. Tell me where this team stands. That, that's a really um, a really insightful um, comment you made there because I, I think it's true. You look back at uh, Vanderbilt last year. You know they start the season playing really really well, and then they as they get to the the middle of the year. They just don't have the depth, I don't think. I think they have some talent in their their, top, their front line, but as you get the, the SEC season wears on, I think that talent uh, gets a little thin and then they get exposed. So um, I, I do agree with you there. This was a team that I think they played their hearts out in South Bend, uh, and all rights probably should have won that game. I think there's five or six different things where they shot themselves in the foot that would have would have and could have been the difference in that ball game, but they just haven't looked the same since returning – from South Bend, and um, you look at the way the way that um, South Carolina ran the football against them in the second half of their game. Um, you look at the way that, that Georgia pretty much dominated that football game. Not that that's a crime as, as good as Georgia is, but I just don't know that they have the horses. Now, I think the biggest thing for Florida, and you mentioned my trips to, to Nashville, um, two very uneventful trips, yeah. And I don't, I don't think I ever played very well there personally. I know I fumbled there um, my junior year. And it's a tough place to battle just the, 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 the setting. You know, we're, we're used to the Florida Gators used to playing in front of raucous crowds when we go on the road. We're used to having the adrenaline rush, and there's none of that when you go play at Vanderbilt. You play the locker rooms are very, very small. Um, you know, more times than not, we were playing at like 11.30 Central Time. It just was a really dull kind of environment. I think that's where I worry about this Florida team is that, you know, there are some, some questions about um, focus and, and, and leadership. And while, you know, I think this team has gotten better since David Reese returned, you, you look at the impact of, of David Reese on that defense, and T.C. Jefferson for that matter too, but David Reese, the impact that he's had on Roshan Joseph and helping him become the player that he is now. Great point. I, I think mm-hmm. it, 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 it has not been talked about enough. But yeah. I, I think that um, you know there is a question about who these leaders are and, and how focused this team will actually be to go up there and deal with kind of the, the antithesis of a normal home field advantage. You know, we think about home field advantages in the SEC as, as places where it's tough to hear and, and uh, the crowd's really into it. Well, this is a home field advantage where you can hear a pin drop and um, there's really no electricity in the stadium whatsoever. So that'll, that'll be something I keep my eye on for, for Saturday. Yes, and to that point, talking about players playing well, 
and about David Reese and Vosan Joseph. I went through the rosters day, and I remember when Urban coached there, he made it a point to coach every guy on that squad. If you were a 96 player, you got coached. That's what he believed. And that's something that Dan Mullen has done. And I think what we're seeing now, I count 11 players out of the top 25 who have been who are developing right now. I don't mean guys who are established like Ja'Kai Polite and guys like that, C.J. Henderson and David Reese. Those guys are all. But when I, when I throw these names at you, think about it. Aside from the conditioning program uh, and the learning, on-the-job learning, and look at the players in the secondary keep stepping up after every yeah. – listen to these names. Brett Heggie, he steps in. He hasn't played. He plays every snap and grades out a champion. You think that's not a big plus, that offensive line, right? Moral yeah. Stevens, he talked about him in the press conference. Moral Stevens, he said when he came and saw Moral Stevens and saw the skills he had and the hands he had, he says he couldn't bench press any more than Mullen could. He says yeah. he, he got him in the weight room. Look what this guy's done. The Michael Piran, a guy I've liked all season long. Look what he's doing. He's stepping it up right now. Josh Hammond, a forgotten guy. Right? I mean, Urban was great at bringing back forgotten guys. Josh Hammond has made huge catches. Freddie Swain is developing to a first-class punt returner. I even like Kyrie Campbell a little bit. He's developing. Uh, you, you take Trey Dean. What possibility does that young man have uh, at a place they need him as a freshman? We know about C.J. Henderson, Chauncey Gardner, and those guys. But add in the, the play of O'Shawn Joseph, who was the National Player of the Week, and then you add Brad Stewart, who showed up big last week. You add in yeah. Donovan Snyder, who's had two straight, and then Sean Davis. Those are all development players, and they all are because of the coaching staff. That's what I think stands in good stead for the long term for this Florida team. Yeah, I would agree with you. I think, first of all, we can't say enough about Nick Savage and what he's meant to this year's team, what he's going to mean to future year's team, not only in terms of physical development, but mental toughness. Um, the, the, the strength coach is the guy that really uh, helps develop the, the, the overall MO of the team. And I think that um, he's a great guy for being able to not only relate to those guys, but he's young enough to relate, but also he's got enough respect from everybody in that locker room to push them beyond what their comfort zones allow. So I, I think that's been a big part. And I talked to CeCe Jefferson during the spring when we were here for the spring tour, and, and he almost felt like he had been cheated out of the, the three years of development in the weight room. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he looked at the, the size and strength that he put on in the winter off-season conditioning program and mm-hmm. felt like he had been gypped of, of wow. um, you know, three years of, of mm-hmm. his his um, you know career here at Florida, and I, I think it's all paying dividends in terms of of um, how fast and, and athletic and, and strong these guys are. I think right. it also has a lot to do with their with their um, endurance. I mean, Florida's played really well into the fourth quarters of ball games, and I think that goes back to Nick Savage too. Now, to your point, I, I think the other thing about development is, is the coaching they get. I think a lot of it has to do with the, the way they practice. And, um, you mm. know, Coach Furrier yeah. is a guy, you were around many of our practices, and, and the hands-on attention to detail and feedback that we got during practice about what we were doing. You know, I think the former staff liked to get as many plays on tape as they possibly could and then went back and coached off of the tape in the meeting room. Uh, I'm one that believes I, I want to have instant feedback on what I'm doing wrong. I want to be coached. So that when I get that next rep, I do it right, and I, and I know exactly what it is I'm doing or what I did wrong before. Mm-hmm. But I think these guys are coaching a little differently, um, and I think it's being 
it's being heard a little differently by the, the, the players on the team now than it was in the previous three years. Yeah, for sure. Let's talk about naming plays after people, okay, <clears throat> or, or, or whatever. We talked about Kodak Black, although now Mullen says it's Kodak, not Kodak Black. That's what he calls it. Uh, <clears throat> I love my favorite call of the year was the Lucas Kroll pass. Talk about the element of surprise, bringing him on the field, and most people don't even know who he is, or that he's a left-hander, or that he can pass the ball. And they spring that on him and throw the ball to Felipe Franks and catch makes a nice catch and out the whatever it was three or four yard line they score. That was a big time play call right there to me. That's yeah. why I call Mullen the chess meister. That's it. they're all playing checkers. He's playing chess in that regard. Brilliant wow. call. All right. Now let me, let me, let me tell you this. Yeah. You, you know that everybody, every coach has trick plays in their repertoire. Mm-hmm. Right. Every every coach right. practices those during the week, but it takes a guy with big. Uh, Cajones. I'll I'll edit myself a little bit, but somebody to call that in a fourth quarter Mm -hmm. down inside the red zone, I mean, that's that's when those plays work. It's it's feast or famine. And I thought that um, the the decision to to call that there, the execution was perfect. And, and, man, I remember seeing Kroll in the uh, the preseason when I was out of practice, and I I asked uh, Will uh, Pantera, well, Will the SID? I asked him, um, uh, well, who is that guy? A massive guy. Tell me the guy's got the uh, uh, 92 mile an hour fastball. Yeah. Did you imagine that guy standing on the mound throwing, throwing at you, not knowing where that ball's going? Yeah. And I'm just happy that he had more control over the uh, the football than what he did on his fastball that throws him out of the, the sport of baseball. So, yeah, I, I, I was thrilled to see that play call. I. I was in the studio uh, with my guys and uh, going nuts watching that, man. It was great. Yeah, that was wonderful. I love that that call. <clears throat> now, now look, you had a pass in the SEC championship game. Um, yeah. uh, by the way, that play was called a very dull name for it. It was called Throwback. I said to Mullen on Monday, can you call it Tebow or something? He said, Tebow never caught a pass, did he? And I thought, yeah. I said, yeah, I think he did. Turns out he didn't. But, I mean, giving – and I talked to Coach Spurrier this afternoon about naming plays, the Ernie Mills play, which you know about. Naturally, that was a famous play. Uh, I believe it was a post route. Uh, and yeah. then they never named – they should have named that play after you, uh, the one that you threw the pass. Who caught the pass? I've forgotten. And the that was Aubrey Hill. We, Aubrey that Hill. Was, uh, that yeah. Was, yeah, that was Bandit Light, Bandit Left Nine Double Pass. Yeah, and uh, I threw that to uh, to Aubrey, who yeah. got it down to about the two yard line. There. Yeah, I was there for the game, and we I wrote about it in the book in Coach Spurrier's book as well. Uh, and I, I was thinking maybe that they called that pass. They could, you know, they had that name called a Polaroid. They had Kodak Black. I was thinking about maybe they could call it Polaroid White for you or something like that. You know, for you <laughs> on your play. But uh, uh, nonetheless, uh, it was a memorable play. And uh, so let's let's just put a pen on it right now. Florida's favorite somewhere around 8 or 9, 10 points. Uh, let's, yeah, let, let's talk about what can happen in this game. Vanderbilt can only be in this game if Florida turns it over, in my opinion. Uh, I don't think the defense is going to collapse. The defense has been stunning, by the way. Uh, and I think the de- defensive backs are really beginning to sell. So I, th- I like Florida's chances because I know the mental approach Mullen's taking. And he's not exactly, you know, this is not a, a trap game because a trap game is something that you don't expect. He expects problems up there. He knows that yeah. you can't go up and lay an A. So I, I, at yeah. this point in time, I'm not asking you to make a pick because it's way too early. Give me your thoughts about how this this Vanderbilt Florida game plays out. 
Well, here's what I, I don't want to see. I don't want to see a loss of momentum. I don't want to see a step backwards in execution. So I think you're, you're seeing improvement in terms of alignment and assignment on defense. I think you're seeing some aggressiveness, as we talked about earlier, the play calls from Todd Grantham are, are high risk, a high reward, but they're, they're, they're executing them very, very well. I mean, you look back to, uh, the blitz on um, fourth down against Mississippi State. It couldn't have been more timed that well timed up from depth there. Um, you know, Brad Stewart stepping in front of the pass the other day. Those guys are making clutch plays there. in opportune times. And I want to see that continue. I want to see the offense continue to, to improve on the offensive line. I want to see them, them run the football. You know, just because you're playing an inferior opponent, so to speak, that doesn't give you the right to, to, to lower the level of execution. And so, that's the true test of a, a mature team is how you go out there and handle your business. That opponent on the other sideline is nameless and faceless. And, um, you know, I think when Florida realizes that um, it's more about that than it is, um, it's more about themselves than it is the, the team on the other sideline, that's when they'll really take it to the next level. So that, that's kind of what I look for here. It's not a bunch of X's and O's. It's not a bunch of uh, game plan stuff. To me, it's just whatever, whatever you're asked to do, execute it. With assignment, with alignment, and uh, with, with with hustle. So, assignment, alignment, hustle. Sounds like a sicker on a locker room wall. So, but yeah. that's good. Well, we'll watch. We'll be watching this weekend. That's that's a that's a noon kick. So, we'll be getting plenty of SEC now. We'll watch you before and after. And appreciate your time. And so, have a good trip. And we'll be watching. Thanks, buddy. I appreciate you having me. Man. Thank you, man. Good story. Good story. Is. Really, I think, developing quite a good analyst of uh, football. Uh, we're going to try David Bolton, even though we, we probably won't get him. Uh, we're going to give it a shot. Let's do this, and we'll come right back. No one ever plans a car accident. Having a plan after you've been in one, however, can make a world of difference. Daniel L. Hightower has been fighting for accident victim justice in Ocala and statewide since 1976. After meeting with Dan and his team, you'll know your case matters, that you matter, and that Dan will fight hard to get you just results. If you've been severely injured through no fault of your own by a careless or reckless driver, you need Daniel L. Hightower. Daniel L. Hightower, lawyer fighting for accident victim justice since 1976. Well, let me be sure to tell you about Rentstar. Here's one of the reasons. The Rentstar Star of the Week. This is a special one this week. Khalil Jackson from Hawthorne. Uh, 14 for 22, 377 yards, five touchdowns. Victory over Stanton as Hawthorne quarterback. And he is the son of Ray for this. Willie Jackson. You remember Willie. Willie is the offensive co- coordinator for Cornelius Ingram over there. And so uh, the, the Hornets buzzing away there. And congratulations, Khalil will be at the Ocala Quarterback Club on Wednesday night along with uh, his dad. And we'll honor him as the Rent Star Star of the Week. Meanwhile, uh, Rent Star is uh, supporting the local community. Uh, they are a superior medical research facility with a proven reputation as a high-quality patient centers clinical research facility. Uh, they bring cutting-edge technology and research trials to Ocala in such areas as Alzheimer's, uh, psoriasis, osteoarthritis, migraine headaches, fibromyalgia, along with many other conditions that affect our community. You can call them today at uh, 352-69-5800 if you'd like to be involved in the clinical trials or go online to www.rentstar.net and check it out. Rentstar Medical Research, seeking tomorrow's answers to the health questions 
of today. It's the Buddy Martin Show, your Facebook Live, our podcast coming to you on iTunes, uh, on Stitcher, um, and on SoundCloud, and hope you're enjoying that. Many As many of you are as well, uh, we come to you five, four nights a week, and uh, in one morning, Football Fridays on Football Friday's on uh, coming up this weekend. And Saturday, we may have a little surprise for you. Could possibly have a little surprise for you. Uh, uh, we're thinking about doing something different, maybe watching the game with you. Um, so uh, that'll be kind of fun. Uh, and we've never tried that before. Maybe over to the Gator Nation Kingdom. Let's see if David Moulton is answering his phone or hanging it up. That, How are you? That would be Mr. Moulton. He's there on the long shot. I thought, well, I'll give him a try before he goes to bed and see if he's there. How are you, David? I'm doing okay, buddy. How are you? Are you awake and everything? Oh, yeah, I'm definitely awake. Sorry I called you so late, but I figured you might be out and about, and I gave you a chance to catch up, and I wanted to get your thoughts about the game over the weekend. Good to see you, by the way, in the press box. Uh, been a while. It was great to yeah, it was great to see you. It was great to be there because, well, quite frankly, the swamp felt like the swamp. Again. Yeah, did it ever? What were the guys? Yeah. What were the guys saying? We saw the broadcast, but you know, I'm sure you talked to uh, to both of them after uh, Gary and Brad about uh, what they uh, they thought and were they impressed with the atmosphere? Well, I have to admit, we are not as into that stuff as ESPN is. ESPN mm-hmm. is all into the crowd and right. momentum and atmosphere. I mean, Brad is a nuts and bolts play-by-play guy and Gary doesn't believe in momentum. So, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, they admire some of the things that goes on during the game. The, the, the Tom, I will say, the Tom Petty singing has struck everyone. I'm that, telling that you. makes us all kind of gives us goosebumps. Yeah. It's like, oh, this is this is a new tradition and and it was nice for Florida to finally win, you know, yeah. after the song was sung. But it they're Brad and Gary are less into noise and all that. I asked Gary a long time ago, how come you're not into momentum? And he said, Well, I believed it until I was standing on the sidelines in the 1986 AFC Championship game with the Browns. And we had just scored to take the lead and pin John Elway back on the one-and-a-half-yard line. And we all know what transpired from there. He said, and that was pretty much when I realized that momentum is like angel dust. I mean, if you want to believe in it, fine. But it really doesn't exist. It's just line up and, you know, make the next play. That's really what matters. And if you think about it, I mean, that's what Saban and Belichick preach. So, anyway, so they get less caught up in it than I think most broadcast. But I can tell you, you know, I get caught up in it. And it just felt the way, quite frankly, Florida football felt for 30 years. Right. Well, that that's the point, and I think that's what Gary's missing. This is not just a bunch of rah-rah. It's a restoration of a place. The, the rekindled spirit. I don't want to go to wake up the echo stuff. That's a little too far out. But, but Mullen has said, and said vociferously on Monday, 
that he went like or like a jumping jack. You saw what he did, and I asked him about yeah. that, and he said he said he wanted the people to know that they were every bit as important as the players on the field to how they perform. That's how big he felt it was. So it was more than just a bunch of rah-rah. To Mullen, it was essential to win the football game. So I don't think St. Gary can separate those two things. Well, I'll say this, though. Danny, uh, Gary has raved about Dan Mullen. I mean, and that's his biggest takeaway from Saturday, mm-hmm. is that Florida's got the right coach, and that Dan Mullen won that game. I mean, there were parts, the chess match that took place between Mullen and Aranda Fabulous. was fascinating. Just fascinating, and for a quarter and a half, Florida really couldn't do much, and then Dan finds this little short side option that they've got LSU outnumbered and it totally changed the game and Frank says the best two minutes of his college career on that final drive of the first half where he puts everything together and gives the Gators the lead and then hits the big pass play on the first play of the third quarter and you're thinking to yourself, well here it is I mean this is mushrooming right before our eyes and then you know, for the next hour, Felipe Franks was, you know, Felipe Franks. But, you know, he completes one pass in the fourth quarter. And I think, buddy, if this season, you know, let's just say the Gators put a 9-10 win season on the board, and this is the beginning of what we all hope it will be, that catch by Jefferson is the play that no one on Florida has been able to make since Percy Harvin. That was a first-round draft pick covering him and a first-round safety coming over to defend him. Mm-hmm. And he just flat makes a great catch on what is barely a 50-50 ball. And for, we have, you know, how many years have you brought me on in which I've said, where are the skill players? Where are the difference makers? This is Florida. And that was the play that's been missing. You know, a 63-yard bomb is a 63-yard bomb. Callaway is, you know, in gut against Tennessee, and they defended it poorly. But that was a defended play. That was, you know, you're not supposed to make that play, and you make it. And because of it, Florida wins that game because of that play. And that's what's been missing Probably since Percy Harvin in 08. I mean, even the 09 team didn't have the difference makers that they did in 08. I mean, that's, that's what I've been talking about, buddy. I know the Gator Nation wants me to be more positive, but until Saturday afternoon, they hadn't had a coach. They hadn't had a player. They hadn't done what Florida had done for 20 years. And you saw two or three moments on Saturday that, quite frankly, you haven't seen this decade. Well, you're singing out of my songbook, my friend, as you know. <clears throat> and uh, I'm with you step and step, lockstep. We've agreed on this for several years. And the skilled player thing, how many times have I said, how can you have statues of three heights with winning quarterbacks in front and not have a quarterback? It remains to be seen, but maybe he can be the quarterback. He certainly can. He doesn't, he, he can maybe not lose the games. Uh, and I love that. I just said earlier, talking to Chris Doring, I love the developmental aspect of this team. 
the chess match, and I call it the chess maestro now because the Lucas Crawl pass is brilliant. My favorite call of the year. Who knew he was a baseball player? Who knew who Lucas Crawl was? You know, and, and they worked that out beautifully. But uh, the, the, the chess master aspect of this thing is, is fun. But the development of players, I just counted 11 players out of their top 23, all who, who have been discovered and developed this year. And, and you talk about people. He talked about uh, Moral Stevens on Monday like, uh, he had Babe Ruth on the roster and didn't know it. I mean, Merle Stevens was a guy that was basically going to rot. And he was found by Mullen, and Mullen couldn't believe it. His body shape, his ability, his hands. And he, and he, and he got him in the weight room and said he could bench press about what I bench press. And he's developed this kid. And what has he done? He's caught two huge passes in games. And he's a terrific receiver and a pretty good blocker. Moral Stevens, who do, right? And this is an old urban trick. He he digs down deep in the roster. He finds somebody you've forgotten about, and he puts them on the field. And that's good coaching, and that's developing as something that the other coaches could not do. Well, and, you know, urban made Florida tougher. And Florida has struggled to consistently be as tough since the urban years. But Dan is a tough coach. Mm-hmm. He coaches tough. He demands toughness. The word was he went in at halftime of the Mississippi State game and looked at them and said, hey, you're not tough enough. If you don't get tougher, you're not going to win this game. There's nothing simple or complicated about this game. You have to get tougher. And Florida was the tougher team in the second half. And look at what took place on Saturday. I mean, over 200 yards rushing against LSU. Auburn yeah. couldn't do that. Auburn's been one of the top 10 teams rushing yeah. this decade. 200-plus yards rushing, not much of it fancy. Didn't get a whole lot of pressure on the quarterback, for that matter. Couldn't block their defensive ends. I mean, the Gators out-toughed LSU. That's a tough program to out-tough. And Florida was a little tougher than LSU was on Saturday afternoon. You know, Felipe made the one horrendous throw, but I will say this, buddy. You know, he was 12 and 27. He had two quarters where he was invisible. He had a terrific second quarter. He throws a good deep ball. It's remarkable how much better he is when the ball goes 30-plus yards downfield than when he's throwing a 15-yard pass. He's not an accurate quarterback at all. Well, that's like the third game this year where he didn't even complete 50% of his passes. But he does throw a good deep ball. He really does. Well, and he knows where to go with the ball, unlike last year when he was And I, I talked to Chris Dorn about this uh, last year. He said one of the problems they had was the receivers weren't getting open. You know, when you go back and you stutter and you stand, you know, and you get your feet get happy feet because your receiver's not open. So the receivers are getting a little bit of separation now, which is good. So, so this is an interesting scenario now. We go from a team being, you know, maybe winning eight games on a good year uh, to losing to Kentucky and maybe, well, maybe six games to now where the team goes to Nashville, should be able to handle Vanderbilt. I don't buy into the myth that Vanderbilt is a team to knock you off. Vanderbilt's a different team they were. They play Notre Dame. They don't have the depth, you know, at the seventh game of the year they had the first game. Florida will handle that unless they turn the ball over and give it the game away. And now you've got a six and one team going to Jacksonville in two weeks to play the Georgia Bulldogs. And it's not hopeless. All of a sudden it's a game. That is really fascinating. And to me, David, 
it's almost more fun to have a team like this that each week gets better. You never know what to expect than a team where you're beating everybody and you're expected to win the national championship. Expectations can ruin your life. Well, it's tough to have a Florida Gator football team that can exceed expectations because Gator Nation's pretty demanding. And so far, this one is doing it. And to think, to think that the Gators in the first year under Dan Mullen may be able to go to the cocktail party and play it with house money is pretty remarkable. It re- And have the game have great meaning is remarkable. It's the best-case scenario. I yeah. don't think in the, you know, the most optimistic of Gator fans' dreams that they could have envisioned six and one walking into Jacksonville and, right. and who knows could even be tied for first when that game kicks off. I mean, Georgia now is beginning their toughest stretch of the year. LSU, Florida, at Kentucky, home for Auburn for the next five weeks. So you know, it's listen. I, I know we at CBS. I mean. Uh, we're thrilled. There's there's I nothing guess. worse than there's nothing worse than if Florida had limped in at four and three and Georgia was right number oh, two the country. You got stuff a real game there now. And by the way, just so you know, you've heard the old expression of a hundred years ago: the Masters doesn't start until the back nine on Sunday. Dan Jenkins, that's his famous statement. Football season doesn't start to the Florida Georgia game. Okay, that's when it starts for, for me. And now all the rest of the stuff is good. But now we're getting into no, uh, October and November, and there's always some things that happen that you don't expect. There's always some teams. They're talking about whether there'll be three undefeated teams in the playoffs. Hey, it's not going to happen. And people, these football teams, they lose games. You know, they lose. It, it probably it probably won't happen just because it's been 14 years since we've had three major unbeaten programs. Is that what it is, 14? Four, mm-hmm. we had 04, we had USC, Oklahoma 1-2, and Auburn couldn't get in in the dance. They were left out at undefeated number yeah. three. So that's the last time that we had more than two major unbeaten. Mm-hmm. So Notre Dame is the fly in the ointment. Yeah, really. There's no question about really. it. Who knew? And I and I, yeah, I think Notre Dame. First off, they block UCF, but they also may block a second US uh, SEC team Possibly. from getting in. Or if Big they're Ten able to go twelve and zero. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I mean, you know, we'll see. I think right now, Big Twelve and Pac twelve are out. Seems like, that way. Those two conferences would be added. Be the other three Power Fives at Notre Dame who would likely get in. And I think the loser of the SEC title game would be out, kind of like 9 when Bama and Florida faced off. But it's, we have such a long way to go. I don't even care about that. I love, you know, you know how fired up I was a week or so ago with the potential storylines. Mississippi State and South Carolina seasons were hanging in the balance mm-hmm. last week. It was a huge moment for Mullen and the Gators. It was going to determine essentially what – the rest of the season is right. going to be worse. That's right. And they rose to the occasion after falling behind in the fourth quarter. And it, it was like old times. It really was. This is how great a day it was, buddy. Leaving the stadium for about 10 years now, 
it's been almost impossible for us to get out of Ben Hill Griffin, make the left, and get out into traffic. The fans have just been nasty. They've been unhappy. Even when they've won, the product hasn't been entertaining, and everybody's just in a bad mood. And Saturday at about 7.15, buddy, we're trying to get out of Ben Hill Griffin, and we've got the fans who are directing traffic, telling people, hey, hold on, they're coming through, let it go. All right, hey, guys, where to go? Yes. People are doing the chop and the whole deal, and we were just all smiling. Going, oh, That's funny. But it was this happy. That's funny. Um, well, <clears throat> I mean, <clears throat> look. A lot of the fans were still in the stadium watching Dan Mullen take a victory lap. <laughs> that was something. Well, it, it, it did take a while. I mean, when you yeah. start that victory lap, you realize this ain't no quarter mile track. Yeah, I'm going to start putting the stopwatch on when he does that. <laughs> Dan uh, got tired coming around turn three. He did. He did kind of pat. Right then he got to that north end zone, he started, he started slowing down a little bit there. <clears throat> so, it was fun day. It was fun day. It was fun to see the program back. And so it's going to be an interesting season, and, and I can't wait for two weeks. It's going to be fun. David, thank you so much. I'm glad we had a chance to hook up tonight. It's always a pleasure talking to you. Uh, David, Can you? are you on Sunday nights now? Or do you have a schedule on Make no. Some Serious? No, that, that show went away. Uh-huh. So I'm just a fill-in whenever they call. I do okay. a Friday night gambling show at 8 o'clock every Friday night. Right. We simulcast it on Brett Musburger's decent channel okay. and on the ESPN Youth College Channel. Okay. So right what about now, your gambling show? What do you do that? What's that gambling show? Well, it's 8 to 9 on Fridays. And, you know, we talk about the lines and okay. the cover and that sort of deal. Yeah, okay. All right. Florida's, last time I looked, an offshore 10-point favorite. That probably going to drop to 8, 7.5, whatever, don't you think? <clears throat> well, I hope so. I know if you want to bet the Gators, you want it to get under 10. Yeah. Then you jump on it. Yeah, for sure. All right, my friend. Thank you very much, David Moulton. He's got a million jobs, including his own program, Miller and Moulton. And uh, I won't even go into the resume. Take me all night. <laughs> Thanks, buddy. I appreciate it. Anytime, buddy. All right, David Moulton. All right, one more little thing I want to tell you about before we go to night night. My friends over at uh, over at Marks. It's uh, such a pleasure to have a place like this to go. Uh, and I, I did go there on uh, on Friday night, uh, and it was spectacular. By the way, um, didn't have that dish, but I had a Kansas City strip, a nice big one, so big my wife and I had to split it, and she took some home. <clears throat> Twice baked potato. Sometimes I like the garlic mash. I had my favorite, my uh, my sautéed spinach. We had a shrimp cocktail that was to die for. Uh, and a little wine, and it was quite an eat. We sat in the bar, actually, the bar booth, because they were crowded, and it was quite nice. Uh, and I told my wife, I told Cindy Nicholson, I saw more people and did more business sitting at the bar there than I did all week long. Because a lot of people love to come to that place, and uh, every now and then I like to go eat in the, in the bar. It's kind of a little, little cozier place, more like a tavern feel. Anyway, Mark's 
prime steakhouse and seafood as you see there. Delicious food. Um, and they've got a location in Gainesville and one in Ocala. Uh, if you're lucky, you can get in if you call ahead because they're very busy. I almost didn't get in myself. In Gainesville, you can call 352-336-0077. Ocala, 352-402-0097. They do have complimentary valet parking. Go online to uh, MarksPrimesTakeouts.com if you want to know about their hours or gift cards or anything else there. So um, I highly recommend it. It's really one of the best restaurants around. Mark's Prime Steakhouse Seafood for the ultimate unique dining experience. Okay, well, uh, tomorrow night, let's see what we got going on here. Edgar Thompson, who's been kind of under the weather, says he's going to try to make it. Uh, we'll have a couple other interviews. Terry Bradshaw was due to be on with us today. When I talked to him today, uh, he was at the American Airlines counter looking for his luggage. <laughs> he and his wife were going to see the Eagles. I said, the Eagles, they don't play. No, not the Eagles football team. The Eagles musical group. And so he didn't make it because of the weather. Which brings me to this. <clears throat> Thoughts and prayers for everybody in the pathway of Michael. I know a lot of you have heard this story already about hurricanes and being danger and the flooding and all the things that go on. <clears throat> and a lot of times we tune it out because it's like crying wolf. Like the last time we had one, it was supposed to be a terrible storm. It was a category two. But this is, this is, looks like, and I've been through a lot of these things, so I can speak with a little bit of authority. This looks like the real deal. And it's a combination of the wind that's going to impact Panama City and the, uh, the whole uh, northwest Florida the Panhandle, and the, the water and the rising tides are going to be could be devastating. I know 100 mile an hour winds plus are scheduled to hit Panama City, and if you chart the path and go all the way up through it, you see that the cone. I'm not a big one to watch the cone because it changes. This one's not changing. It's holding a line. It's making a big. Sort of a curve to the right, going back east, uh, right, uh, right east of Tallahassee, on up and south of Atlanta, over all the way out to Charleston. Uh, so uh, be careful. Uh, I have a friend here at our house from Tallahassee. Uh, she decided to go home yesterday, and I said, "Why would you go home? There's a there's a storm. There's there's a tropical storm and a hurricane coming, and it's going right towards you. So I'll be fine. I'll get home before then." She got on the the road to drive to Tallahassee. She called her daughter in law, and the daughter in law said, "What are you thinking?" It's pouring down rain and blowing here already. There's no gas right now in Tallahassee. I understand they got some later. So stay where you are. You don't have to be here. She turned around and came home, and she's here with us tonight. She's, thank goodness I'm here and not there. So our thoughts and prayers for all the people there, the first responders, the families. Get up and get out of there, folks. I made the mistake one time of staying through Charlie. I said, I'm staying through this. This is a Category 3. I can handle it. I said, I will never, ever, ever stay anywhere, especially on the coast. I was living in Punta where there's a Category 2 or higher coming. Uh, I, I'm out of here. I'm not afraid to say, I don't care where you have to go, to a shelter. Do not stay if you're on the coast or you're in harm's way. Please, I'm begging you, okay? Thoughts and prayers to all those people. We'll be back tomorrow night. By then, the winds will be blowing strong. We'll have a little more information for you on what's going on with the Gators. We'll have a chance to visit with a few people tomorrow and catch you up to date. Try to keep you up as we do every night here on the Buddy Martin Show on Facebook Live. Our podcast, once again, tell folks about it. You don't always have a chance to watch the TV or watch your computer. You can hear the audio. on. You can hear it on SoundCloud. You can hear it on Stitcher, iTunes, etc. 
check it out there as well. So I'm also on Twitter at Buddy Show if you'd like to go find me there. Uh, and uh, so we are going to be keep pumping it out for you. Uh, thank you for watching, listening tonight. Uh, had a good show, good audience, good guests. Thanks to our guests, uh, Chris Doring and Steve Spurrier and David Bolton. All you folks appreciate it. Have a good night.